Okay, today I'm going to talk about fathers. Now, today, days like today are, can be very different for different people. Some celebrate their dads or their granddads. Um, some days like today, they're, they're, there's a sadness because they've recently lost someone precious. Um, some feel grief for other reasons, for children lost or children that are absent. Those who would sell all of their possessions for just to have a child. Some people indeed get angry on days like today because it reminds them of the father who was never there for them. Or perhaps worse, was present but violent or cruel. And in fact, today it can involve the whole range of emotions. And so the temptation for days like today is to play them down. To avoid upsetting people that I don't want to upset, we could just, you know, give it a mention at the beginning and then do some normal stuff. And increasingly, this is what people are doing. Um, This year, our toddler group was given a box of Father's Day crafts by one of the schools because they said we we can't really celebrate it anymore because, you know, looking at statistics of of our kids and looking at the impact it has, and we're, we're unable to celebrate a day like today. Um, I know I help run a lunch club in the school up here and just chatting to the kids, a majority of them, they don't have a father at home. And yet I did want to talk about fathers for one major reason. Because regardless of whether we are happy, grateful or upset or angry on days like today, we all have a father in heaven who is perfect and who wants to know us and who wants to be known by us and he wants to know us better and better So whether you like to hide on days like today, whether you are listening online because you physically couldn't turn up and be here in person, I want you to know this, that Father's Day is really about God more than it's about our earthly earthly dads. Personally, I, I have a very, I've always had and still have a great dad, and I'm very grateful to God for that. He's supportive, he's loving, he's caring, and a dad who performed the most important role of all dads to love my mother. Not that all dads have to love my mother, but you know what I mean. Um, You know, they say, don't they, that that the best thing a dad can do for his children is to love their mother. And I completely agree with that. But good though he he was and is, he isn't and never will be perfect. And one day he will leave me. And in the world's eyes, I will become fatherless. Now, at the moment, he's a bit of a health freak. If you know him, he just seems to have gone on this, you know, he... he puts my, me and my brother to shame with the runs that he does every week. He's trying to break that, the, un, the awful habit that we seem to have in our families of dying young. So he wants to break that, which is great. And yet, despite all the exercise he's doing, one day I will lose him. But I know I have a heavenly father. And my prayer is that you two will know that this morning. As part of a bit of research this week, I asked Abigail, my three-year-old daughter, as a kind of a test to see if the message was getting across. Abigail, how many daddies do you have? And she correctly said two. She said me and Jesus. Now, her theology is a little bit off, you know, but we can work on that later. She gets older. But I love that answer. And actually, I see that as part of a vital part of my own training, teaching her that, because I want to protect her for when I'm not there for her or when I mess up, which I know I will do and do. I wanted to know that there is another daddy who loves her even more than I do. And I love her that much. And when I'm gone, she is not fatherless, although I'm sure she will still miss having me around. So my plan for this morning is this. I want to talk about dads. What makes a good dad? And maybe you will smile as you consider how your earthly dad 
does well in that area. There are four of them. And then I want to link that to our Heavenly Father, and we will see, unsurprisingly, that God does all of these things rather well. In fact, he does them perfectly. And for some of you, maybe many of you, this will be a confirmation of something you know and have always known. Something you've accepted, and that's great. For some of you, this description may indeed be a revelation to you. And my real prayer for this morning is, as that revelation comes, perhaps it will come with some healing. The kind of healing that comes when children suddenly realize how precious they are to their dad. When sons and daughters feel loved, when sons feel respected, when daughters feel treasured by their dads. And whether you are an 85-year-old son or a 60-year-old daughter, we are all still kids at heart in God's eyes. And I want us all to feel respected, important, and treasured to God. So let's begin with what good dads do. This is like a, a bit of a job description. For me as well, this has particular significance. Um, as you probably noticed, Louise is pregnant. I don't know if you noticed. Um, <laughs> Any day, well, actually, two weeks, within two weeks, we will be welcoming our third child. Is it funny how they say they're welcoming into the world, which seems strange because they're not beamed from space. And I know that bit about the stork is a lie. I've learned that one now. Um, the baby's there. It's with us all the time. It's listening to me now. It's enjoying the, the chocolate that Lou's just probably just eaten as well. Um, anyway, I will have the privilege of being a father for the third time. It's nervous, but exciting. Um, I feel very blessed about it, even with the apprehension that comes with the, with the birth and then the you know, following 18 years. Um, so as much to remind myself, I, I've put together a bit of a dis- job description of sorts. The four things that good dads do. First thing they do is they delight in their children. Dads love them, but more than that, they delight in them. He's enchanted by them, so much that even bodily functions are wildly applauded. A father doesn't just love them, you know, in that kind of Victorian way, well, I love you, but, you know, that kind of seen but not heard way. But they find delight and joyful amusement in them. They say that a father is someone who carries pictures in his wallet where there used to be money. Those, those pieces of paper... That opened, used to open doors for us, used to bring us joy and happiness, are replaced by photos where the kids aren't really even looking in the camera. You know, their nose is runny, their hair's all messed up, but we're still happy with that. We're okay. This delight, which incidentally I think is God-given and God-inspired, means that for all the pain and all the agony in a way they will bring us, about, just about at every stage of life, we can't help but love them. Firstly, they delight in their kids. Secondly, a dad, they are devoted to them. To be devoted, it's like to be dedicated to them. I love the sound of the, the chocolates going around the room. <laughs> they're, they're zealous. They're fanatical even. It's about loyalty. It's about faithfulness. It's about commitment. Children aren't just added to a long list of priorities like watching TV, going on holiday with work and TV. They're, they're right up at the top of the list which generally means that all the other things rightly take a back seat until the kids have left home. I wonder if any of you listened to the the talk, the the Jubilee service of Thanksgiving um, on the Tuesday of the Jubilee week. And uh, in it, Dr. Rowan Williams, the soon-retiring Archbishop of Canterbury, it's like he broke with tradition, actually did a good sermon in these times. Um, And he spoke about the Queen's 
dedication and her devotion to her people over the last 60 years. If you haven't listened to it, then you should, you should try and get it. It's great. And he gave a great explanation of that devotion and that dedication that really came to mind as I was preparing this sermon. And he gave... Um, he spoke about it more than be, dedication being more than just being very enthusiastic about something, like we often think it is. But rather, it's to be intimately involved in the well-being of someone or something. It's to have all of your happiness dependent on theirs. It's to have all of your satisfaction reliant on their satisfaction. All your well-being conditional on their well-being. And in that way, dads should be devoted to their kids. Well, actually, first devoted to their mums, but a very close second to their kids. Devotion is self-sacrificing. It hurts. As I know, when the day comes when Abigail brings home her first boyfriend. Oof. <laughs> I know. I am preparing myself already. It's many, many years, decades in the future. Um, although I am developing a slight nervous twitch, you know, for when they're there. And I avidly watch CSI, so I know where to bury the body so the police don't know. Um, You know, I've heard it said that a father is someone who is proud to see you get your first car, but secretly wishes it had no keys. Which seemed to sum up the point quite nicely. To be devoted to them is to choose to have your happiness tied into theirs. It's to bind your dream fulfillment into the fulfillment of their dreams. And good fathers do that with their kids. Thirdly, they are disciplined. They discipline their children. Now, before you get very indignant, because you think I'm the kind of church pastor whose favorite verse of the Bible is, spare the rod and spoil the child, let me explain that a true meaning of discipline is, is now been mostly lost. To most people, discipline means punishing. And generally, they're talking about corporal punishment. But that isn't really what discipline really means. It means to train them. It means to prepare them for life. Now, indeed, sometimes that has to involve punishment and the withdrawal of things. But if a father's discipline is always punishing, then they've become a despot and a tyrant, not a father. Really, it is about training, teaching, instructing, educating, and correcting. J.C. Penney tells a story about his father. Um, J.C. Penney, if you you may not be aware, it's it's, it's an American chain of clothing retail stores. They own Primark as well. Those, um, you know, a, a massive thing. He founded it early in the last century. It now has a revenue of £11 billion something every year. It's a huge company. But he tells the story of how he got involved in clothing retail. When he was a, a teenager, J.C. Penney, Jim, Jim worked in a grocery store in Hamilton, Missouri, in America. He liked the work, and he had plans to make a career of it. One night he came home and he proudly told his dad about his foxy employer. Now, foxy means, you know, wily, smart. The grocer had a practice of mixing low-quality coffee with the expensive brand and thus increasing his profit. And Jim laughed as he told the story at the dinner table. But his father didn't see anything funny about the story. His father said, tell me, if the grocer found someone palming off an inferior article on him for the price of the best... Do you think he would think that they were just being foxy and laugh it off? And Jim could see that his father was disappointed in him. I guess not, Jim replied. I guess they didn't think, I didn't think about it that way. Jim's father instructed him to go to the grocer the next day, collect whatever money he was due, and said that he wouldn't be working there anymore. 
And at the time, this was in Hamilton, this was early last century, there weren't many jobs in Hamilton. Mr. Penny would rather his son was unemployed than be associated with a crooked businessman. And having left that grocer store, he then went on on to found a multinational clothing company. Good dads train their boys to make choices like that. They do it with their daughters. They constantly battle the beauty perception of girls. Something it's, it's strange, I'm already encountering it with Abigail, who believes to be pretty, she must be wearing either leggings or a dress. Good fathers train their boys to be men and girls to be ladies. And actually, number two flows very nicely into number three, because to be devoted to someone's happiness and well-being requires an involvement. I am devoted to the well-being of my son Joshua, and therefore I have to speak, I have to act. When he does something I know will cause him suffering later in life, whether at school, at church, at work, or in his family to come. Now, we obviously tailor our discipline as to whether he's, they're 25 months old, like Joshua, or 25 years old, but good fathers don't hold back. Why? Because they're devoted to their kids' happiness. Just as a kind of addition to this, something that's very close to my heart, fathers need especially to train boys to be men. You know, I've heard the difference between a boy and a man is the ability to wait for something. To wait for that, ma- to, to wait for that wife rather than pursuing short-lived pleasures. To wait for enough savings rather than building up debt. And fathers, we need to get good at that as well ourselves. So otherwise, we're confusing our child by saying one thing and doing something else. So good fathers don't just discipline, they also submit themselves to Bible-based, sober assessment, peer-reviewed discipline. Fourthly, lastly, they are available to their children. I'm sorry, I wish I could have found another D, you know, get that perfect symmetry on a sermon, but I couldn't. I'm sorry, please, please bear with me anyway. Now, I could have tagged it along with number two about being devoted, but actually, I think it was so important it needed a number of its own. D.L. Moody, who was a, a, an American 12th century evangelist, he told a story about a young, successful attorney. And this, this young guy told D.L. Moody, he said, The greatest gift I ever received was a gift I got one Christmas when my dad gave me a small box. Inside it was a note saying, Son, this year I will give you 365 hours An hour every day after dinner, it's yours. We'll talk about what you want to talk about. We'll go where you want to go. We'll play what you want to play. It will be your hour. He said, my dad not only kept his promise, he said, but every year he renewed it. And it's the greatest gift I've ever had in my life. I am the result of his time. I love that bit at the end. I am the result of his time. I wonder if I'm brave enough to offer my kids a present like that. Maybe I should just do it and just bear with, bear with it anyway. Because some dads try and fit all their parenting into their family holidays. Some try and squeeze it into the eight or nine this year bank holidays that we get every year. Some try and squeeze it in the advert breaks between their fa- favorite TV. Some dads try and um, decide to use the opportunities that are presented to them. I think good dads make opportunities to be available to their kids rather than waiting for those opportunities to come up. You know, I, I realize for me at the moment it's very easy because the time I give, I generally get rewarded for it. The time that I offer to play with my kids because they're young, actually increasingly wrestle with my kids at the moment, 
the time I give to them, I am instantly rewarded. They want to spend time with me. I know there will be a time when I am an embarrassment to them. I will have to work hard. I will have to give them time, and I won't get the instant gratification results from it. I'll still have to do it. So there's my list. Four things that good dads do. They show delight, devotion, discipline, and availability to their children. And I pray so hard that my kids would see those things in me. But as I mentioned or hinted at earlier, for some of you, all that previous information, all this information is irrelevant. Nice, perhaps, but irrelevant. Irrelevant either because you aren't at present a father, or you never will be, I particularly the, the ladies in the room, or irrelevant because your father was the very opposite of those things. He wasn't delighted in you. He was delighted when you were out the house. He wasn't devoted to you. He was more concerned about following his football team, his career, going on, following that hobby, building that car, than raising you. And maybe your father didn't show you love and discipline, and you struggled because of that. Or maybe worse, the discipline was brought without love, so it was cruel and destructive. Or maybe your father was absent by choice or by circumstances. And so perhaps you may agree that at what a father should be about, but you see your, so, your physical father so far from that that it just seems irrelevant to you. Well, actually, I think it is relevant to us all. Because what makes all these things relevant is that we see them demonstrated in our, by our Father in heaven. Our earthly fathers, even the best ones, will fail us at some point with this, in this role. Your heavenly Father will never. As I go back through the list we can see how God perfectly fulfills all of these roles for us. The Bible says the Lord your, the Bible says that his delight is in us. Zephaniah 3:17 says the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. At the time that Zephaniah verse was written, things were not going well for the nation of Judah. The nation had been divided in half. You had Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Israel, the northern kingdom, had been completely swallowed up by the superpower, the Assyrians. And Judah was this tiny enclave, this tiny island nation surrounded by mighty superpowers. It's a bit like if Horsham District was independent from the rest of the UK and if the queen was this terrible despot intent on destruction and not the lovely grandma figure that she is. And for Judah, vicious enemies surrounded them. Their future was uncertain. But God reminded them, my delight is in you. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't rejected you. And perhaps even you feel like that Judah illustration there. Surrounded on all sides by powers that are beyond your control. Well, know the delight of God over you. He hasn't rejected you or forgotten you. His delight is that of a loving father. Psalms 68.5, as Will read out earlier, he is father to the fatherless. In Zechariah 2.8, God says that whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. In the Bible, he calls you his children, his beloved, his treasure, his delight. Know that today. Secondly, the Bible says that he is devoted to us. That's so devoted to us that our salvation meant more to him than the life of his very own son. So, devo- so devoted to us that he, 
He gave up the perfect union with the perfect son to go after and rescue the most rebellious of his species. Our Heavenly Father could have lived happily forever with the Son and Spirit for all eternity and done nothing for the human race who were lost in sin. Please get away from the idea that God needs us, our love or our worship or our devotion. He doesn't. If he did need it, he wouldn't be God. Ephesians 2, 3-5 says, Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, you may not feel like an object of wrath right now, But the Bible says, until you accept the gracious gift of God through Jesus Christ, you are. And every sin we commit increases that debt and increases the anger of a perfectly holy God. But then Ephesians says, Ephesians 2 continues. Yes, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. That is how devoted your heavenly father is to you. Thirdly, the Bible says God trains us. Like the best dads, he knows schoolboy errors are meant for schoolboys. Girly behavior is meant for girls. He knows that our greatest joy, achievement, success, and satisfaction in life will come as we stop making the mistakes that ruin our marriages, our jobs, our relationships, and our happiness. And he isn't just some cruel kind of schoolmaster figure punishing people indiscriminately. He's our father who knows the very best for us. And he knows the maturing is good for us. They often say, don't they, that kids grow up quickly. I experienced that uh, two weeks ago when Abigail had her first taster session at big school. Or, you know, primary school, really. um, But the reason they grow up so quickly is because they want to. It's written into their DNA. They want to grow up quickly. Why crawl when you can walk? Why walk when you can run? Why run when you can scooter even faster? God trains us because he knows that desire, because he put it in our DNA. Deep down, we want to lay aside that laddish or that laddat behavior. And God, our Father, wants to help us in that. He wants to train us through his word, get into the word of God. He wants to train us through his spirit as his spirit speaks with our conscience and our spirit. He wants to teach us through other people. Fourthly, the Bible says that God is here and with us. He is available. James 4, 8 says, draw near to me. This is God speaking and I will draw near to you. Sadly, this is where many of our earthly dads do let us down. Some are totally absent Some spend too much time at work through this misguided belief that a father's role is merely to win the bread. But we must never forget the cost of that availability. Just as our dads gave up things to make time for us, so our heavenly father gave up his greatest treasure so that we could know him as father and call him father and draw near to him. In the book of Hebrews, a book that we're probably going to be looking through in detail After the holidays, in in Hebrews chapter 10, God invites us into his presence, but he says it's only made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that though we disowned ourselves from the family of God through sin, that God now wonderfully offers us adoption as sons and daughters back into his family. Through his love, through the work of our, our brother Jesus Christ and brought to us through the spirit of God, adoption, the Bible says, is now available. Adoption that gives us legal status as sons and daughters. 
Galatians 4, 4 to 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under law. I love this bit. So that we might receive adoption as sons. The Father sent the Son so that we might receive adoption. And you are able to receive adoption into the family of God. And if you haven't already, why not choose today, of all days? Why not? Father's Day 2012, as a day to agree to be adopted into God's, act, into God's family and to gain that access to your Heavenly Father. Because actually, it's only when once we've accepted the adoption of God that actually we get to experience all those other wonderful things I was talking about. Because once we've accepted adoption as sons, we will know God's delight over us. Regardless of whether our lives are deemed successful by the world or not. Regardless of the mistakes we've made or not made in the past. As his kids, you will know God's delight over you. It is both amazing and both terrible to see Christians who live more like slaves than sons. We believe God's, we somehow believe that God's delight is based on our performance. Well, God will be happy if I read my Bible today. God will be pleased with me if I pray enough and go to church. He'll be, he'll be, he'll, my, his delight will be over me if I haven't drunk too much last night or sworn too much this week. Slaves work to please their masters. Sons are just a pleasure to their fathers. Fathers are delighted in their sons before they wake up in the morning. And that's what God says about you. Secondly, when we are adopted, we will know his devotion towards us. Isn't it interesting in Matthew when Jesus speaks about asking God for things, what illustration does he use? That of a father's heart for his children. And again, even the best Christians get this wrong. We believe that God needs convincing about things. Oh God, my kids really need food today. Oh God, I really need this job. As if God is somehow surprised by that. As if God is somehow taken aback and it's like, well, sorry, I've run out of food for today. I didn't know your kids needed food. I didn't know you needed feeding today. I didn't know you needed money for your mortgage. He is devoted to us. He has chosen to derive joy from our joy. Happiness from our happiness. Comfort from our comfort. He didn't have to, but he chose to. Just like, you know, I'm a big boy now. I know how to find joy in life. Lots of places. But I have chosen to devote myself to my kids so that my joy is actually dependent on theirs. When you have adoption, you know his devotion for you. And when you... Again, adoption, we will experience his discipline, his training. Hebrews again, Hebrews 12, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as son. Endure hardship as discipline. Why? God is treating you as sons. Later in, in, that, uh, later in verse 11, it says, No discipline seems pleasant at times. It's hard. But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God, our Father, wants to train us. Sometimes that is hard, as it is hard with our children. But we will get to know the fruit of that training. Mainly, we will stop making those stupid mistakes that ruin our lives. We will learn to lust after just one person, our husband or our wife. We will learn to handle our finances properly so we're not up late at night worrying about money. We'll get better at honouring our bosses. We'll get better at honouring our teachers or our leaders. 
We will stop saying those things that ruin friendships. I don't know about you, but I want to get better at doing that. My father knows that as well and wants to help me do that. And lastly, when we are adopted, we will know, fourthly, we will know his nearness. We will know his availability and his accessibility to us. We often read, don't we? We read that God is spirit. And we, we feel somehow that means he's distant or he's, you know, beyond us. You know, somewhere out there in the ether, like some grown-up Casper, friend, the friendly ghost, that kind of thing. Actually, it means the very opposite. It means he's able to be present wherever we are. He isn't limited to one person. He isn't limited to showing love to one son or one daughter at once. He is able to be present because he is spirit with all his children at all times. And as adopted children, we can call on his name and know that presence wherever we are and whenever we need it. It's interesting as well that when we consider those four roles that a good father does and our holy father does for us, I began to see how, misrese- how badly misrepresented God is today by the world. You know, I don't know about you, maybe you're more you know, laid back or patient. I really hate it when I'm misrepresented. I hate having my character slurred by others when I'm not around to, you know, to, to be out of recourse or, to, you know, or for any reason. I remember a time in East Grinstead when I was a teenager and uh, there was a party that took place in someone's house, a, f- a friend in the church. And there was a little bit of damage that was done. It was some minor damage. You know, the drinks cabinet was slightly lower than it was before. And um, the parents returned from holiday and they were quizzing the son what happened. And uh, so he said, you know, well, who's responsible for this? And uh, the boy was, he was I'm not telling you, Dad. Uh, you know, he, he, was, he was, you know, keeping, keeping Sturm a little bit. And... Uh, the next question was, it was Ben Martin, wasn't it? And, um, and again, the son didn't jump to my defense. He was like, Dad, I'm not saying. As it happened, I was nowhere near. Okay? I was nowhere near the thing. I hadn't been at this particular party. And you know, that, I, when I heard about that conversation, I, was, you know, I felt a little bit you know, misrepresented. In this case, at least. And, um, but God gets that every day. People misrepresent him. They attack his character. And especially when supposed intellectuals are hailed and honoured by the world for presenting that slander. And if I get angry about that party accusation, when to be fair on previous occasions I have been what some might know called the ringleader in those things, surely God would get angry when his perfect character is tainted and slandered by mere creatures before the Creator. And interestingly, for all each of these descriptions, it's easy to see how people have accused God and I wonder maybe if you've believed them. You know, we have this perception of an angry God who's constantly angry and frustrated with our lack of perfection. It's because we've forgotten his delight over us. We are told that God is uncaring and vindictive. I tell you what, if I gave up the life of my son for someone, I would be furious if they turned around to me and said, you're uncaring now. We've forgotten his devotion to us and what that cost. We're told by the world that he is a rule-obsessed tyrant who derives pleasure from taking other people's. We've forgotten he's a loving father who knows what is really best for us, even when our immature minds and our limited vision can't see the reason for that moment. We are told as well, maybe you've believed that God is distant. If he is a father, he's a distant one or an absent one. You know, God, maybe the father created us, but then he you know, kind of dumped us with Mother Earth you know, for her to take care of us alone. If we do that, then we've forgotten some of the wonderful word, names of God in the Bible. Jehovah Shammah, 
God who is there. Eroi, the God who watches over me. Emmanuel, God who is with us. Our fathers on earth will at some point let us down and not be there for us, but God will not. He is always available and always very present with us. And as I said at the beginning, if that is a revelation to you, or if anything is a revelation for you, let that revelation come with healing right now. You know, when my children cry, I want to make them laugh again. When they cut themselves, I want to clean and dress the wound and tell them it would be okay. When they are sick, I would happily take the sickness on myself to stop them suffering. God did all those things for you. What a father we have. What a father you have. So today we honour our dads, our granddads everywhere. We honour those that are present and those who are no longer with us. We say thank you, hopefully better than the, uh, the guy in the video did. We acknowledge what they did for us, even when we didn't appreciate it at the time. We acknowledge what they did for us and we never even noticed. And in that context of thankfulness, it is right to say thank you to our Heavenly Father for all that he has done and continues to do for us. The stuff we know about and the stuff that we don't. It's right to remember our own adoption as sons and daughters and all the rights that came with that amazing cosmic agreement. And for those of us who are fathers or grandfathers, let's go again as we pursue that seemingly endless horizon of being the father that our children deserve. It's hard, it hurts, it costs, but it is eternally worth it. It is worth us showing the delight, the devotion, the discipline. It's worth us assessing our time to ensure that we are truly available to them and not just fitting them around our other pursuits. And if you, as guys, want challenge on that, can I encourage you to get involved with Dave's men's discipleship group? Tell you, I'm, I'm excited about his vision for what we're going to do in that group, but I'm nervous as well. I'm excited because I know it's going to help me become a better dad and a husband and a son. And I'm worried about how we're going to get to that point. But it's good for me. So dads everywhere, thank you. Father God, we thank you too. You know, while we were... Um, I want to pray in a moment and I'd like to leave you some prayer. And um, we sang a line earlier on, Forgive, forgiven so that we might forgive. And um, it really kind of spoke to me, and perhaps it was God, you know, put, you know. Sometimes when God speaks, it's just pointing at me. Sometimes he's wanting it to be shared widely. And I wonder if it's, it's that second, um, because we have been forgiven. And um, I spoke earlier on about that revelation, bringing healing. And I, but there is often a, a blockade to that healing, and that is unforgiveness. And um, maybe we can think, well, actually, my, my father doesn't deserve to be forgiven what's happened and he's you're right but none of none of us are anyway um and actually i i I wonder whether i'm going to pray in a moment whether there's a a healing that needs to take place from things in the past and there's a but there's an unforgiveness that would block that healing and jesus says you know told us to pray forgive us lord as we forgive those who sin against us you know it's, it's quite a scary verse he says as well that if you do not forgive your another sins and god will not forgive you your sins a scary verse and actually for dads perhaps dads have hurt us more than anyone else have they are in a position that when they do good they can do the great good if when they do harm they can do great harm and um maybe for you days like today it's just a kind of my dad was was terrible 
the things he said, the things he did, doesn't deserve it. And maybe he's no longer with us. Maybe he's not alive anymore. And you, don't, you feel that actually forgiveness is never going to happen. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says forgiveness can take place still. Um, it's a change in our heart, not in a change in their heart. And um, I'd love to leave this in prayer now. And if that's true of you, it just maybe you're already thinking, you, know, you don't know what my dad did. You don't know what happened. And you're right, I don't know. But your Father in heaven does know. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're with us now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all that you gave so that we might enjoy adoption as sons with your Father. And I pray for every person here who struggles in some way on, in moments like this, where their father was not there for them, where he was maybe cruel, maybe with words or with actions. Maybe he was violent. Maybe he was unloving. And I pray that there will be a healing that takes place. Lord God, we thank you for good dads, but ultimately there's only one good dad, and that is our Father in heaven. And I pray for every person that, that some of what was said today it was a revelation to them. They didn't know that about you before, Lord. And I pray that they will begin to allow that healing to take place in their hearts. And that they would know your delight over them. You, they would know your devotion to them. They would know that your discipline is a loving discipline to train us to maturity. And that they would know that you are very accessible and very available. That you never turn anyone away who comes to you. You've promised that. And I pray for that healing to take place now, Lord Jesus. Father, we do thank you that you do all those things for us. I thank you that your delight was in me even before I got out of bed this morning. Thank you that your devotion for me was so great that your son went to the cross with your permission. I thank you that you do discipline me. Lord, I don't don't always thank you for it, Lord, but I know it's right. And I thank you so much, Father God, that you are always there for me. Always there for me. You are the great Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. You are the great El Roy who watches over me. And you are the Emmanuel, God with us and in us. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Time is well, well, it's gone. Um, but I'd, I would love, again, just to offer just ministry from prayer for those who would, would desire it or need it. And say, don't, I know we, we can be a bit trivial on days like today, so we can, you know, say thank you to Dad and, and not actually realize there's a, there's a greater word that, that God does want to do on our hearts. And if there's anything that you would need prayer for, whether that's spiritual healing or physical healing, we believe God's Spirit is here. We believe He loves to move, He loves to work in us and through us and for our joy and our benefit. If there's anything you need prayer for, we would be very happy to do that. Um, you only need to ask for it. Come, come at the front or come and speak to myself or Neil or John or anyone you trust in the church and they will be pleased to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. So don't forget, we are, we are here next week, but we are here later. The parade leads from there at 12. 
So we're not actually meeting like this in the morning, but we are meeting. So if you can kind of arrange to get here sometime 11 o'clock onwards, that would be fantastic. Um, don't forget Thursday, some preparation, and Saturday if you're available as well. It, it is, it's a good laugh. It really is. And it just blows people's perception of church and Christians right clean out of the water. And uh, so please come along, even if you're not the kind of, you know, dramatic, creative type. Come and be involved. Come and, if you've got a BFC t-shirt, wear it with pride. If you haven't, come and find us and we'll give you one. Um, I love the comments that come out. You know, I didn't know there were that many Christians or I didn't know the church was that big. I didn't know churches, Christians had fun. You know, it's amazing what people learn on a Sunday in June in Billingshurst. So if you can help in the afternoon, come and find me and we'll get you down for an hour. Um, God bless you. I will stop now. Thank <laughs> you.